This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship on Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There's a place for you here. For information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The first reading today comes from the book of Isaiah. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces, and the disgrace of his people will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Holy wisdom, holy word. Second reading is from the book of Revelation. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Holy wisdom, holy word. Our gospel today comes from the Gospel of John, the 11th chapter. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, 
Lord, already there is a stench, for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and set him free. The gospel of the Lord. In my uh, profession, I have done quite a few funerals. And my youth director at my last congregation said to me, I don't know how in the world you can preach at funerals. It's such a sad occasion. That's not the first time I've heard that from people. And I'd like to say it's because I'm so awesome that I can preach at sermons. I mean, I could preach at funerals. And believe me, I'm not above grabbing onto a good compliment and squeezing it for everything I can get. But I can't own this one. Because I have found funerals to be the easiest time to preach. If you want to find a hard time to preach, try proclaiming the Easter message to a bunch of preschool students. We had a preschool at my last church, and I would go in and I'd say, Christ is risen! Which, of course, would bring up the obvious question of, risen from what? And I'd say, from the tomb! they go, well, why was he in the tomb? Well, because he was dead. Well, how did he die? Well, all of a sudden, I'm talking about how a bunch of mean men jabbed five-inch spikes through his hands and his feet and then poked him through both lungs with a spear. And these little eyes are getting bigger and bigger, and all of a sudden, all these traumatized children are running home to mama. Uh, they don't get it. How can they understand what it means to be risen? Because they don't yet understand what death is. But at a funeral... People get what death is. They come aching with their own mortality. They come feeling death in their own blood and bones with the evidence right there in front of them. And in that moment, they are desperate to hear a word of gospel. Good news. And they don't want it eloquent, and they don't want it clever, they just want it clear. They want to know that light is Lord over darkness. They want to know that life wins out over death. They want to know that Christ is risen. And it's so easy to give it to them. Oftentimes, at funerals, we hear that, that first reading from Isaiah that wonderful image of the messianic feast laid out on the top of Mount Zion. It's a comforting image. 
Who doesn't want to think that when we die, we get to sit down at a table and enjoy all those fatty foods we couldn't eat when we were alive? We get to pig out on McDonald's and Taco Bell with absolutely no repercussions and drink all the wine we want. It's a comforting image, and we are told that it is a feast laid out for all peoples. Not quite all peoples. Because every time we hear this reading, it stops right where you hear it stop. But if you go just one more verse, you find out there's one people who doesn't get invited to the feast, the Moabites. And just like those preschool students, you ask, well, who are those Moabites? Well, I'll tell you. The Moabites were a uh, tribe of people who fought against the Israelites when they came into the promised land and kept fighting against them, trying to drive them out. They were their perennial enemy throughout their history. And when Isaiah painted this beautiful image, he was preaching to these Israelites when they were in exile. When they had lost everything and they were once again in slavery in Babylon. And you can imagine how these words might have been comforting for this humiliated, powerless people to think that one day the tables might be turned. Who can blame them, I suppose, for choosing to exclude someone from the feast, one of their tormentors? Who can blame this powerless people for wanting to claim just a little bit of power? Power over somebody anyway. Because you'll notice that the Moabites, well, go home and, and read on and you'll get the full picture. But the Moabites are said to be down at the bottom of the mountain. Where they are said to be discarded, Isaiah says, like so much straw in a dung pit. In more contemporary language, like teepee in a porta potty. Because any civil engineer can tell you. If you got all this feasting going on at the top of the mountain, if it's, burrito, if it's burrito night up there, all that effluence has to go somewhere, and it better be going downhill. And it does, right to where the Moabites are. Isaiah goes on to say that they'll try, they'll try to tread water, they'll be swimming through it, but ultimately... They will sink down in this great pool of filth. <laughs> Who can blame the Israelites in their captivity for dreaming of a day when things would be turned upside down and the ones who now have to swab out the toilets for their oppressors might one day be at the top of the food chain and let everything flow down to them. Let them clean up the mess for a while. After all, 
That's how we exercise power. That's how we know power, isn't it? By how much influence we have. By how we can make people do what we want. By how many people we have, to use a telling phrase, at our disposal. But that doesn't seem to be the kind of power that we find Jesus exhibiting in today's gospel. Because here we find our Lord and Savior, King of heaven and earth, weeping like a child over the loss of just one insignificant person. Just one of the vast disposable horde. Lazarus, whose name ironically means God has helped me. Where was God when he was sick? Where was God when he was gasping his last breath? Where is God in the midst of all this grieving and crying? Well, it turns out that God is right there weeping alongside Mary and Martha. There is just one people excluded from that messianic feast, just one people named the Moabites. It seems like that happens so often when it comes to invitations. We love to say that all peoples are welcome. We're an accepting congregation. We love everybody. But it always gets trickier when it comes down to the specifics. When you start naming people. Yeah, but is this person invited? This person who doesn't look like me, or love like me, or think like me, or believe like me, even then, as long as we can keep it kind of general, it's all right. But what about that person who really ticked you off last week? Who said something thoughtless? Who said something cruel? Are they really welcome? When you reach out that hand and say, the peace of the Lord, are they the first one you go to? There is one other person specifically named at this feast, or at least in the story. The only other person specifically named is the Lord. And yet, the Lord is conspicuously absent from the feast. So where is the host, if not there, sitting at table at the top of the mountain? Well, again, if we go to the Gospels, we might get some guidance as to where to look for him. Because in the Gospels, the disciples repeatedly find Jesus in and with those cast-off ones. With those sinners. With those losers. With, the, with those ones who are just desperately treading water or whatever trying to keep their head up. That's where Jesus is repeatedly found. So where is the host of this feast? Well, maybe the strong 
maybe the winners can stride up that mountain on their own two legs and take their place at table. But the Lord strides down the mountain and wades through that disgusting pool to find those Moabites, to find those sinners, to find those losers. And that's what comes to us as good news today. Here it comes as baldly as I can put it. Because we are those Moabites. We are those losers. We are those who inevitably lose the game of life. We can't even keep our eyes open. We can't even keep breathing. And the Lord comes to us and reaches out a hand to pull us out. The psalmists oftentimes talk about death as going down to the pit. Well, the good news is when we go down to the pit, the Lord's already there. The Lord has beaten us to it. And there he extends his hand to pull us upward to the feast. And we who are not yet there, what is our role in all this? To give our thanks for being saved? Yes, indeed, but we have another hand that we can reach out to someone else to pull them along with us, to let them also be pulled along to the feast. Because the one who has laid out that feast has indeed laid it out for all peoples. For all people. Including them. Including us. Including all of this vast, varied, wayward world. Amen.